Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Heat Assist Podcast. I'll be your host, Steven, and I'm joined by... Hi, guys. This is David. Hey, everybody. I'm Carson. And today we're going to review games three and four of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Heat and the Bucks. As most of you know, the Heat won the first two games in convincing fashion, mm-hmm. and it seemed like the Bucks were going to be in quite a struggle to get any footy in the series, so... We're going to go ahead and get started right away with Game 3, which the Heat won, bringing the series to 3-0. What really stood out for me in Game 3 was how Jimmy Butler was able to close off the game like he did in Game 1. He completely dominated when it was really needed to get the win. Um, But one thing I wanted to point out was that, uh, one, the Heat did not have Kelly Olenek in play. So we actually got to see Myers Leonard on the floor, which, unfortunately... (laughs) Was not his best time on the floor. Don't worry, Stephen. Uh, let me let me say this. He got rocked. He got cooked. <laughs> he got destroyed. He got abused. He only played eight minutes, and he was useless. There you go, well, Stephen. <laughs> I, well, I, I I've been hating on Myers Turner a lot. I will give him credit for this. He kept Brooke Lopez out of the paint. Like Brooke Lopez did not want to give him open three, and so he, just by him being on the floor he kept Brooke Lopez close to him and out of paint and I thought that the Heat had to take advantage of that to make up for his deficiency on a defensive end. He got cooked by Brooke Lopez though. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I, that's another point that I wanted to bring up that's associated with Myers Leonard is that the Bucks wanted to take advantage of the fact that one they had Myers Leonard on the floor but also that they wanted to use Brooke Lopez on the offense a lot more. You can see they ran a few isolation plays on the posts, which, like David mentioned, one of them kind of deterred Brooke Lopez to take a fadeaway jump shot, which he swished. And then he also made a three on top of on, on Myers Leonard as well. So um, having him in there kind of uh, pushed Lopez to not be so close to the basket. But Brooke Lopez was still successful doing that. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that's something the Nets, not the Nets, the Bucks should have tried to emphasize more to diversify their offense just because, and I keep saying this, Brooke Lopez was all-star level center for the Nets just purely on post plays. It wasn't later until he developed his uh, mid-range um, and three-point jump shots. So I think that's something that they could have used more. And I, was, I wasn't surprised to see that they finally started to run a few plays for him down, down in the post, although... Not as much as I would have expected. Oh, sorry, oh. I just want to emphasize your point, Stephen. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo injured his ankle in this game, and it really hindered his play. So I thought it was like it was very important that you say they need to diversify the offense because Giannis was kind of ineffective in this game. So sorry, sorry to cut in. No, no. I mean you're absolutely right. I, you know, it's to me. I felt like even if Giannis wasn't hurt, it would have been nice to have times when him or Middleton were on the floor just because you you noticed that coach Budenholzer he was very keen on having certain times for each player especially their star players I think one of the main things Bucks fans are complaining is Bucks head coach he is not overloading their minutes of their star players and Bucks fans are wondering why aren't you putting the best players on the floor at all times if it's needed to win the game. If he's gonna go the route of not playing heavy minutes for those stars, then and you're gonna emphasize on having other players try to produce. I would look at Brook Lopez as a prime candidate to try to run those post plays, and you know 
I think it was kind of a little too late to have him do it just on an emergency basis when Giannis was hurt, got hurt. I guess I was kind of happy for Brook Lopez because I think he, he deserves a lot more credit than just being a, a spot-up three-point shooter. But Well, to, to be fair for Coach Bud, if, if he ran more plays for Brook Lopez in the post, it would make Giannis even more less effective than he, than he already is right now. I guess that's a point. He is like, like I can understand what Coach Bud Budenholzer is trying to do. He's trying to give uh, Giannis more space to operate. It's kind of like the uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons thing. I, I can understand why he did, why he wouldn't want to uh, do that. Because you mentioned Giannis's minutes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because this is something I wanted to mention. Giannis has played less minutes every game since Game One. In Game One against Miami, he played 30, a little over 36 minutes. Then he played a little over 35 minutes in game two. And then he played a little 34 minutes in game three. Like It's becoming less and less. Like, I can understand game three because he was a little injured. But, like, game one and game t- game two, I don't understand why he's playing less minutes than game than game one. It doesn't make sense. Game three makes sense because he got injured at that game, right? So yeah. he was trying to be a little bit more careful. But to go back to what the point of not having Brooke Lopez play post-up minutes when Giannis is on the floor. Obviously, you don't want to take Giannis as the main focus of your offense. Like when I mentioned the different lineups and having not having those players, Giannis and Middleton, play heavy minutes, there are times when Giannis is not on the floor and you, you would want to have maybe Brooke Lopez play on the post, maybe get double have uh, double coverage by the Heat's defense and have him kick it out to, you know, Middleton or someone else. Because, like you mentioned, if Giannis's minutes are reduced or he's not playing most of the game, there's a good chunk of time where Giannis is not on the floor. Instead of just giving the ball to Middleton and let him figure it out, or there are even some minutes where there is no Middleton or Giannis, let Brooke do something, as opposed to maybe Bledsoe or run play for Kyle Corbett. Like, not that you shouldn't have place for those guys, but you could mix them up a lot more. I would have a lot more faith in having Brooke Lopez have set plays run for him on the post. And maybe he could get, uh, you know, someone in foul trouble just because he's so big and tall. It's uh, it's hard to see how he wouldn't command double coverage from the Heat's defense or at least get someone in the perimeter open. Uh, so that's one thing I kind of wanted to emphasize and I wanted to see if the Bucks would eventually do which I guess they did to a very small extent there was this particular lineup I was really kind of scared for the heat in the <laughs> second quarter when Spolstra uh, set down Jimmy Butler the five-man roster on the floor was uh, Derek Jones Jr. Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Jay Crowder and Duncan Robinson I was yeah. like wow <laughs> <laughs> but to coach Spolstra's credit uh, none of the stars on the Bucks team was on the floor either so but I just didn't like to see that we really didn't have much of a defensive presence with that lineup and I thought you have no one tall you have hero none and Duncan Robinson biggest guy is Jay Crowder and Derek Jones Jr. that's not the most uh, defensively diverse team on the floor but you know the the team didn't do too bad just because like I mentioned the the matchup that they had that the Bucks had on the floor wasn't that it was pretty much their bench players as well. So, and they did okay. Like David mentioned, I think the biggest news out of that game was that Giannis got hurt. He tweaked his ankle, and you could tell that throughout the game after that that little tweak, he wasn't himself. Every time he would he tried to drive through the basket and score, you could see every he would land and grimace mm-hmm. very visibly on camera. And 
you know, I think that kind of deterred him to being aggressive, as aggressive as he should have been. I mean, if you look at his box score, he, ever since he uh, tweaked his ankle, he started shooting more jumpers. He was 0 for 7 from 3. He, a he tried shots. a lot more jumpers ap- after he hurt his ankle. Yeah, in this particular game, he went 0 for 7 from the three-point line. To <laughs> me, it's not the fact that he made zero of them. It's the fact that he took seven three-point shots. Yep. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the second most by the entire Bucks team. Uh, the for the 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 player that shot the most three pointers for the Bucks was Brook Lopez with nine, and then Chris Middleton took six. And I don't think that's a winning winning strategy for the Bucks to have Giannis take those three point shots. But I did like the fact that Giannis did get back on the floor. You know, you could tell that it really meant a lot to him to try and play through the through the pain. And, but in the end, it did really affect his performance. Like Carson mentioned, it definitely deterred him, at least on a mental level, to not be as aggressive attacking the basket or to be as explosive as he could have been. Yeah, I really thought his teammates really picked it up for you know, Giannis' ineffectiveness in this game. I thought the bench is particularly Dante DiVincenzo and George Hill. Like They really stepped up in this game and helped contribute. Oh, yeah. They built a big, like, they left throughout the game, like, headed into the fourth quarter, they were up 12, 87 to 65. And, like, everything it was, seemed to be, like, going well for them because Giannis was struggling, but, like, Chris Milton, Brooke Lopez, George Hill, DiVincenzo, like, they were helping, like, they were contributing and, like, holding the heat defensively. Like, it, it was not looking good for the heat heading into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. Like, if you looked at the whole game, the Milwaukee Bucks were the much better team for three and a half quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they outscored the uh, the Bucks in the first quarter. I mean, the Miami Heat thirty to twenty nine. Then it was twenty seven to twenty one, and then thirty to twenty five. If it wasn't because of that bad fourth quarter, then they would have probably won this game. It would have been two one. What a fourth quarter it was for the Miami Heat, where they turned things around. Starting out the fourth quarter, you didn't really expect the Heat to blow them out, blow out the Bucks. They were just getting everything right. Like they were shooting a tons of threes, and if they miss it, the Heat would just grab the offensive rebound, reset, and just lead, led to a free throws. Jimmy Butler was doing it all for the Heat, you know, on the defensive end, getting to the line. And one point in the fourth quarter, he scored in five consecutive possessions for the Heat, either through the free throw line and grabbing offensive rebound, getting fouled. He had a steal and led to a fast break dunk. He also had like an alley-oop. Like there was all in five consecutive play. Jim Bella and Bam Mabio put the Bucks in like in the just got to the line so many times. He had 19 free throws in his quarter and five off- offensive rebounds. They were in the bonus with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it was so crucial because there was one play where Butler grabbed the defensive rebound and they fouled him. He just went to the free throw line. Like It was just easy points for them. Yeah, the offensive rebound is something that's coming in very handful for the Heat. And you could tell that the mentality is to crash the board especially in those high-stakes mm-hmm. minutes. I mean, the Heat had five offensive rebounds in that, four, that fourth quarter, and being able to get those rebounds and try to put it back in, you're most likely going to get fouled. And, you know, it all adds up to all the high free-throw shots that, I mean, particularly Jimmy Butler had. But, I yeah. just want to mention this. This is the second time that the Heat have out-rebounded the Bucks. It was 49-44, to 44, and Bam Adebayo had 16 rebounds. He he had a great game on the defensive on the defensive end, like securing rebounds. 
Yeah, making some clutch shots, dude. Like, making some mid-range jumpers. Like, impressive. Also, the Heat only had one turnover in that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I think that's... If the Heat are going to perform well in the fourth quarter, I think the main thing they need, they can work on, that's that would be something that they could do in the next game, is crunch time comes, just protect the ball. You know, I feel like, and we'll get this more in the, in the fourth game, um... When you start seeing the Heat make careless plays and starting to turn the ball over during crunch time, it just spells doom. And you feel like the players are, you know, they kind of get, you know, it affects their uh, ability to make the right play. I don't want to say that it's particularly one person, but um, when the offense is being run by this particular player during those crunch times, I think it's, that's when the, the Heat start doing uh, not as good to close out games. So uh, we'll get there more in the fourth game, but... I just wanted to point out that in game three, you know, having Jimmy Butler take over, not only score, but protecting the ball with, you know, the entire quarter, the team only had one turnover. I think it's really huge. Mm-hmm. When he ran on that crazy run, like they outscored in the fourth quarter, they outscored the Bucks 40 to 13, which Carson uh, brought up before the podcast. Like that was the largest deficit in playoff history for any quarter. Shot clock era. Just oh, shot clock since, era. Yeah, okay. shot clock era. Ever since the shot clock era, that's the largest point differential in the fourth quarter in a playoff game, 27 points. Yeah, and I know like, when the Heat overcame the 12-point deficit and took the lead, like Giannis started guarding Jimmy Butler. And I think it was so-so. Jimmy Butler... They were able to set screens for him, and he was able to penetrate and still get to the free throw line or make plays for his teammates, including driving to the rim and making a bounce pass to a Jay Crowder open three. We finally saw Giannis just straight up guarding Jimmy Butler, and I think it it still wasn't enough because Heat was smart enough to set screens for Jimmy Butler, allow Jimmy Butler to penetrate. Uh, even though Giannis still made some nice plays, I think he forced Jimmy Butler in a turnover in one play, and force Jimmy Butler three poked the ball out of Jimmy Butler one time Mm -hmm. yeah so it wasn't like a complete domination by Jimmy Butler but like that matchup uh, I I don't think it went as well as the Bucks wanted I don't think it was a good idea for Giannis to like guard Jimmy Butler especially if his ankle was injured Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with Carson just inopportune time the moment called for the best player to defend their best player and unfortunately Giannis was hurt the ability to be able to see if your star player is capable of performing defend at that level that you're expecting, I think it's important as far as being able to make the right adjustments, and which I don't think Coach Bud did. But I also wanted to point out that it wasn't just Butler that performance that really carried the heat in that fourth quarter. I'm just going to lay out some stats, basic stats about the fourth quarter, and it, it just completely stands out how crazy the dynamic was between the two teams and why they had the biggest point differential ever. So, mm-hmm. field goal attempts. The Bucks had 23 against the Buck, the Heat's 18, but the Bucks only made 6 of those 23 shots. So that's 26% as opposed to the Heat made 10 of those 18 shots at 55.6%. The Bucks shot 10 three-point attempts and made 0. They couldn't make any of them. The Heat shot 3 of 9, which, you know, 33%, not the greatest, but better than zero now you look at the free throw discrepancy kind of like we alluded to jimmy butler was able to get to the basket pretty easily he had 19 free throw attempts in that fourth quarter mate and the team as a whole made 17 of 19 the bucks only had two free throws of which they only made one and they were taken by eric bledsoe you look at the rebounds the heat had 16 the bucks only had seven and 
the Heat have five offensive rebounds. And like we mentioned before, Jimmy Butler was very active. He had two offensive rebounds. And, it, you know, it just kind of shows how he was, how the whole team is just trying to be, get every fight for every possession as much as possible. The Heat had eight assists in one quarter, which is pretty good. The Bucks only had three. And then personal fouls. The Bucks had 10 as opposed to the Heat's only one personal foul. I think it's crazy. All these stats add up to the Heat having 40 points, you know, and the Buck only having 13. You could say it's just a complete meltdown by the Bucks, or, you know, I, I also give a lot of credit to the Heat's defense, being able to keep those percentages way down. Yeah, you mentioned, Stephen, they attempted, they were only three out of nine to Heat uh, in the fourth quarter. But I feel like a lot of those misses, they were able to recover it with an offensive rebound. They were just getting whatever they wanted. The Bucks seemed like they, they couldn't hit a jump shot, and they were settling for, like, really bad jump shots. Like, Bledsoe had, had, had a quick pull-up three during the fourth quarter, and it was just like, that was really unnecessary. And that's like, you, you fought, you're playing right into the Miami Heat's hand. I completely agree with you. There were a lot of those shots that, they, that the Bucks did. They were like desperation shots. There was no need to do it. Yeah, they had, a lot of, they had some success penetrating, getting into the rim. Every other shot where they weren't attacking just not good place for the Bucks. I, I thought it was funny uh, I think Carson mentioned this but you know Jimmy Butler scored more than the entire team uh, he scored 17 <laughs> yes, he points did. I believe right and the Bucks only scored 13 Check Jimmy Butler out. scored 17 of his 30 points in the fourth quarter on the same level but from a different perspective the Heat scored more free throw points than the Bucks scored in the whole quarter talk about meltdown and such yeah, a crucial game to be up 3-0 if Bam Adebayo went 6-for-6 six six from the free throw line, it's like game over. 6-for-6 six six from Bam Adebayo, that's, that's impressive. He's been shooting the free throw pretty well in the playoffs. Yes, he has. I think uh, really he's, he, yep. he's way above his regular season average. I have to check on the numbers. I'm, I'm kind of liking the fact that he is being more consistent when it really matters mm-hmm. as far as free throws. But you guys have anything else to add for the game, game three? I feel like that was... Game four may not show it, but I feel like that's that's the nail in the coffin for the series. Like, I feel like the Bucks are not coming back from this, even though they even though they won in game four, they the series is pretty much over. Yeah, I mean to highlight that particular point, no team in the NBA history has ever come back from a three zero deficit. Don't say that. <laughs> Damn it, you said it. Knock on wood, Steven. <laughs> Knock on wood I, right now. I nope. think it's to highlight the point that. If it gets to 3-0, it's not really a a luck factor. And there really has to be some sort of serious matchup issues or some sort of advantage that you know the winning team has going on for them. And you can see it in this series very clearly. You know the matchups are just in favor for the Heat, despite not having the same. I guess some people might say not the same talent level. So we'll see. I guess it's a matter of when will the Heat finish the Bucks. And I would really like to see the Heat win as soon as possible just because the Raptors just beat the, the Celtics to beat, bring their series to a 2-2. Two and two. So the earlier we beat the Bucks, the more time we have to rest and prep for whoever wins that series. Yeah, I feel like the Heat will have their hands full whichever team wins that series because both, both the Celtics and the Toronto Raptors, they offer some like different sort of problems for the Heat. You're absolutely right. I completely agree. In very different, different ways as well. Yeah. Because they're both complete different styles. It, it's really wise for the Heat to finish them off in Game 5. Especially uh, since uh, more than most likely Giannis is not going to play. Absolutely. And before we get on a tangent, let's move on to Game 4. What did you guys think of Game 4? 
thought it was it started out pretty aggressively for the Miami Heat and for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was able to play, you know, taped up his ankle and just went to work on game four. He came out really aggressive. And that um, first quarter was monstrous. <laughs> yeah, that first quarter, he was six out of eight, including one and one from the three-point line. Like, I, I, it just seemed like he just kept forcing in. He kept driving and forcing in. He couldn't stop him. I don't think that he sent the best defenders, especially in that first quarter, but Giannis just was unstoppable. Like, this is what we thought he would be doing, right, throughout the whole series. But, I think they were, I think the Heat were drinking a little bit of that Kool-Aid. Like, I agree, because, Steven, you mentioned this. They look kind of look flat-footed. I completely agree with you. I think part of them was, like, they're, like, realizing, man, we're, the Bucks probably gave up already. We, we could just, we don't have to play, like, a full, really hard in order to win this game. I, I saw a lot of, like, one-on-one there matchups. Were, there, there were a lot of, yeah, exactly. And normally they don't do that. That's not the game mm-hmm. plan for, like, stop yeah. Like, I, I feel like they, they just got, they're drinking that Kool-Aid, pretty much. That I guess that's how, it, how the saying goes. But, you know, despite that, the Heat were still... Well, the Heat was still leading after first quarter, but because everybody else with the Bucks were ice cold, they could not hit a three. Like nobody else was really scoring besides Giannis. Like Chris Milton and Brooke Lopez really struggled in this first quarter and in the first half. They in the first half it was all Giannis and very little uh, from from the Bucks. But like what kept it close for the Heat was just Bam Adebayo was really aggressive, started out really hot. It would eventually lead to like a, a really like a career game for him. Like this was probably his best game in the whole series, but he was doing it all in the first quarter like he was well, in 20 26 points is his uh playoff career high so far. Yeah. But I guess overall like the overall game he played in this it was like one of his best ever. I really like what I saw from Bam because he was, you know, Brooke Lopez was not giving him any like layups or drives to the rim. And he was just hitting mid-range or hook shots. Like he was hitting it outside the paint and he was just hitting clutch mid-range jumpers. It was really impressive. It's really good to see him expand his range and able to hit his uh, mid-range shots. Like that's the most impressive thing for me. And like he was attacking matchups. There was one play in the first where he he got uh, Matthew switch on him. He took Matthew straight to the rim. Like he took advantage of all the mismatch. I thought you know even a Tyler Hero, even though he he really struggled in this game overall, I thought he what he has been doing consistently throughout the whole series is offering really good help defense, especially on Giannis. Um, he really knows. He really anticipates, or he knows where Giannis' tendencies are. There was one play where Giannis is driving left, and he spins right, and Tyler Hero knew when Giannis drives left, he's most likely going to spin to the right. Anticipated that and got the jump ball, like held the ball, got a jump ball on that play. But other than that, like Tyler Hero really struggled in this game. We mentioned in past podcasts how Tyler Hero doesn't have a lot of turnovers. You know, he takes care of the ball. But unfortunately, he had a lot of, it was three turnovers in the game. They're all from being stripped. Like Dante DiVincenzo stripped him. I think George Hill knocked the ball out of his hand. Kyle Korver knocked the ball out of his hands. And he wasn't able to get it going offensively until really like overtime. Even though the, it was all Giannis in the in the first half, the Heat in the second quarter, they just couldn't hit. They missed so many shots. And like they had a lot of turnovers and they couldn't hit the open threes. Like Kelly Olenek, who came back into this game, he missed all. He had open threes and he couldn't make it. Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, who really struggled in this game, they had open threes and they couldn't hit it as well. And like it was fortunate that kind of close in at halftime, even though it's like the Bucks were struggling, except for Giannis. And then he had to come out because he re-injured his ankle again. I wanted to add 
a little bit more detail in that second quarter where you said that he did really bad and mm-hmm. man, did they do bad kind of like what we talked about about the fourth quarter from game three how it was so epically bad for the bucks mm-hmm. this was pretty epically bad by the heat as far as <laughs> offensive output they only scored 17 points in the second quarter five for 18 overall field goal 33 percent three of nine from the three-point line just were not making any other shots you know kendrick Dunn was one for four something i'm sure david is not surprised by he <laughs> <laughs> has some Bullitt open threes he missed yeah <laughs> One for three from the three-point line. You're absolutely right. No, really open, too. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Butler was one for five. Tyler Hero was 0 for three. And it was they just could not make their shots. And mm-hmm. it, it, it brought the, the Bucks up 11 more points from the previous quarter, 28-17. But in the second half, I think that's where things went downhill for the Heat. It's just that's when Brooke Lopez and Chris Milton stepped up, especially in the third quarter. Chris Milton becomes the go-to guy. He he showed up in the third quarter. He had 21 points in the third quarter. Like it was mostly just the Bucks setting screens for him, and he was just getting favorable matchups, either getting Dragic on him or or uh, Tyler Hero on him, and he would just score on them, like just getting that favorable matchup for Chris Milton. But he was also scoring on Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler. They started with Jimmy Butler guarding him, but he was still Chris Milton was still able to score on Jimmy Butler. So they had to switch to Jay Crowder to put more height on Milton. And that Jay Crowder matchup against Milton, what seems to be the best defensive lineup, he Jay Crowder seemed to have the best stats defending Chris Milton. But you know they set so many screens for him for Chris Milton that he got the matchup he wanted. And I thought he played a lot better defense on uh, Jimmy Butler. I know, Carson, you mentioned, I think it was in game one where Jimmy Butler was like 7 or 7 when Chris Milton was guarding him. But I thought in this game, Chris Milton did a better job whenever he was guarding Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler also struggled in this game. Where it all went downhill for the Heat was in the fourth quarter and overtime. The Heat started out really hot in the fourth quarter and they had Pat Connaughton guarding Duncan Robinson. <laughs> In the fourth quarter, and he took full advantage of that. Duncan Robinson was two out of three in the fourth quarter from threes. Two of those made threes were on Pat Connaughton, just taking advantage of that matchup. Goran Dragic showed up in the first four minutes of this fourth quarter. Like the first four is such a discrepancy between the first four minutes of this fourth quarter and then the last eight minutes. In the first four minutes of the fourth quarter for the Heat, they were five out of eight overall from field goal, two out of four from three, four assists, one turnover. But then the last eight minutes, they were three out of 12, one for six from three, two assists, three turnovers. And unlike the game three where they had 19 free throws, they had zero free throws in the fourth quarter and overtime. They could not get anything going. Brooke Lopez in this fourth quarter after the hot, like scorching hot third quarter by Chris Milton. Brooke Lopez took over in his fourth quarter. It kept They kept it close. Uh, I kind of alluded this when we were going over game three, how I felt like even though we didn't do that well in the fourth quarter, we had plenty of opportunities to close the game out. Mm-hmm. You know, as you would expect, being that the game went into overtime, it came down to the very few last crucial plays of the game, or not the game, but the fourth quarter, where, for one thing, we did not protect the ball that well. We had four turnovers in that fourth quarter, and most, at least two that I can remember from the top of my head came from, a, a, like, maybe a handful of last few plays of the of that quarter. One in particular was Tyler Hero losing the ball, being stripped, kind of like David alluded to, but this time was such a crucial time with the game on the line. Um, also, Bam made a turnover where he was trying to give the ball to a cutting Tyler Hero, and he just 
he just didn't make the right pass. He kind of threw it long, and it went out of bounds. There was a play in the fourth quarter. I think it was the very last play of the game where DiVincenzo got the ball in the, in the baseline and was able to for, go for a layup and get fouled. And in the end, he made one out of two free throws that sent the game to overtime. I, I have a lot to criticize about that play. <laughs> uh, I mean, for the, the main point I wanted to bring up is, I believe, if the announcers for the game, I believe it was on the ABC, they mentioned that the Heat had an extra foul to give. Apparently, the Heat did not foul the anyone to take some time in because that last play only had a few seconds left, and being able to foul without having any sort of... Uh, to cut down the momentum from the the Bucks play, their set play, I mean, it would have been huge, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, they inbound the ball, let the clock go for four seconds, and then follow them again. Now they're trying to make one basket in four seconds. It puts a lot more pressure. And I felt they could have used that to ice the game for the Heat. But they didn't do that. And I just felt that the execution at those last few moments really, you know, put the Heat in a bad position to send the game into overtime. On that play, like it came after a timeout, right? Because they, they, the Heat were up one. There was eight point nine seconds left. The Bucks call a timeout, or the Heat could have put substitute. Like they could have substitute Dragic out. Like I don't know why Goran Dragic was in on that play. Absolutely, that's yeah. you're exactly correct. And like that, that the whole play breakdown. Like the whole play started when they got the ball to Chris Middleton. He beat Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler sagged off with Devin Divincenzo to help out. Middleton passed to open Divincenzo in the corner three, and I felt like Butler should not have fell for the pump fake. He he was like going for the block. And DiVincenzo was easily able to pump fake him. DiVincenzo is only shooting 26.7% in the playoffs. And he's only two out of seven in the first of the Heat playoffs. Like, I know it's like hindsight, but he really should just play to the advantage and let DiVincenzo cut off the drive and let DiVincenzo shoot that three. Like, I would have take that chance instead. Yeah, absolutely agree. Put to the numbers. Yeah. He has not been shooting well. He wasn't really an offensive threat most of the game. And I felt that having the... Giving him the pressure to win the game on a three-point shot would have been much more advantageous. I think so, because he choked on the free throw. He 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 missed a game-winning free throw. Yeah, DiVincenzo missed the first one and yeah. was able to tie the game with the second free throw. Oh, that play was painful. But to even get to the Heat up one, don't forget in the previous play, Tyler Hero made a clutch three-pointer to put the Heat up one with 21 seconds left. Like it was like a Duncan Robinson type play. Like he was coming off the screen. Like he was running, yeah, like, on the move. Yeah, yeah, on the move. It was it was an incredible three pointer. And like give credit to Tyler Hero. He struggled throughout the whole game, but when when it came down to crunch time, he really like he was the one putting all, making all the clutch shots for the Heat. Well, I I do want to point this out. He that was his only shot that he made in the fourth quarter. Yes, or in the fourth quarter, and you know it wasn't the. Overall, for the Heat, it wasn't the best offensive performance. They shot 42%. I want to say, yeah, he shouldn't have been given that much minutes, but the problem was nobody else was stepping up. Goran Dragic was struggling. Kendrick Nunn was not was struggling as well. Like it, There was really no other option but to put Tyler Hero in. And even though he struggled in that fourth quarter, uh, just like nobody else could step up. So, I, yeah, it was it was rough. One of the things that I consider also a possible downfall for the Heat in that quarter is that 
we didn't play our best players to try to close the game out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler only played six minutes and 37 seconds. Same for Jay Crowder. Mm-hmm. I felt like if we really were intent to close the game out, you know, play your best players to close the game out, especially since Butler has been so dominant in the fourth quarter. But if, if you cut his minutes by half, you know, it kind of prevents him from having the opportunity to get going. You know, I, I really was hoping that Spolster would have put him on, like, from the, you know, all 12 minutes for that quarter because, you know, as much as we were up 3-0, and closing the game and sweeping the Bucks, I thought it was so important to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see that I think even Spolster might not have been so urgent to try to close the game. Just by looking at the minutes played in that fourth quarter, I thought that was uh, very unusual. I have to agree. Like, like I mentioned, they had zero free-throw attempts in the f- entire fourth quarter in overtime. Like, they couldn't, they weren't getting anything in the offensive end. Like, they were taking a lot of bad shots. Goran Dragic in the last eight minutes was just horrific. And overall for this game, he was, did not contribute to this game. So after Dante DiVincenzo made one out of two free throws to tie the game, the Heat had one final possession with 1.9 seconds left. And... I, I mean, I, I'm not going to argue this play too much. You, it, with that little time, you can't really get a good shot off. But they took a three down by one, and Goran Dragic just had his shot, got stuck in the rim. Like, yeah. I think that emphasized what was going on for the Heat offense throughout the fourth quarter and overtime. <laughs> yeah, and to highlight that, it was Goran Dragic was just waiting at the baseline. And, you know, eventually he just got the pass with the defender right in front of him. He just had to chuck it. It wasn't much of a play going on, I felt like. Yeah. You know, that that ends the fourth quarter and the Heat and the Bucks are off into the overtime where, unfortunately, Chris Middleton really took over. You know, yeah. something that kind of is going to stand out in his career so far. I think one of the things that Bucks fan has been waiting is for someone in the lineup to step up to close games. And, you know, I think Chris Middleton really, I mean, he was able to do that. He was able to score nine points, three or five. One for one from the three-point line, two free throws, two for two. The Bucks score 11 points in overtime. He scored nine of the 11 points for the Bucks. Like, one of it was the Heat were down by one, and they got to switch Tyler Hero on Chris Milton. He made a three to put the Heat up, the Bucks up four, and that was, that was dagger. That was, that was it. Especially after Tyler Hero made two clutch threes to bring them, you know, to, to bring the Heat in one. I believe there's only three seconds left in overtime, but... They could not penetrate. They were not getting good shots. They were forcing shots. Like to highlight this, if you take out Tyler Hero, who was two out of two in overtime, the Heat were one out of six uh, in field goal, and they had three turnovers, and they just they just could not get anything going. And if it wasn't for Tyler Hero, it would just it wouldn't have been close at all. And. To add to the point I made earlier about the uh, the Heat having a hard time closing out games when certain players are put in a position to play make during the crunch time, the same thing happened. You see Bam and Tyler Hero playing pretty much the entire overtime minutes, and during those crunch times, they each have one turnover. Mm-hmm. And you know, during those times, it's so crucial to protect the ball. And you know, to give credit to Hero, he made two out of two, all from the three point line. You know, he made the most, he made six out of the eight points for the Heat. But I, I think I would have been more comfortable having um, the ball in Jimmy Butler's hand. Um, 
and maybe having instead of hero having another defensive weapon to slow down Chris Middleton, maybe like Iguodala. Mm-hmm. Just because I would trust Jimmy Butler more to not turn the ball over. And also just because, you know, being Chris Middleton was shooting lights out, try to slow him down somehow, putting a better defender. And like you mentioned, David, they, the the Bucks made a, plan, uh, a point to get the best a- advantage for Middleton to make those plays. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I feel like the Heat, they do better when they emphasize their defensive matchups as opposed to try to win through offense. Um, unless Jimmy Butler's closing the game out and going bonkers, right? Which is why I would advocate for him to try to win the game for the Heat. But I think um, I I don't, I wouldn't agree with Coach Spostra having Tyler Hero in during the, that overtime yeah. pretty much the whole time. Um, it was yeah, especially on the defensive end when they're down by one, and the Bucks had the ball. They had Tyler Hero in, and they target Tyler Hero. I don't think Eric Spoelstra made some. I, he could have made some defensive lineup changes, like coming out of the timeout. It's really strange that he didn't. Like he put, he left hit some of the weaker defenders in. I thought that was really questionable. Overall, that close. Those closing minutes so that fourth game was somewhat frustrating. And as much as I like to say we just couldn't make shots, I think it was a lot of um, poor decisions. Or not bad, I guess. I don't want to say poor. I'm sure Spolster has some sort of grand scheme behind his decisions. But from a plebeian viewer like myself, I felt like that wasn't those weren't the necessary place to win the game. And potentially allowing the Heat to sweep and taking some much-needed extra time off to get ready for the next the next series but it, it just felt like we as a team were not as active on defense a little flat-footed maybe tired from all the effort we've been putting in the first three games on top of knowing that Giannis got hurt and that no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit you know it just kind of caught us you know we, we're just kind of not on alert the full time it felt like especially mm-hmm. kind of like we pointed out when Giannis was still dominating in the first quarter you could tell that we weren't as keen on sending help defense mm-hmm. and um i think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game especially not having Giannis i feel like that's not an excuse you know if anything i felt when Giannis got hurt i felt like this is this is our chance to actually take the game right. away because that from that first quarter I was like, we are not going to win this game, <laughs> like, at all. If Giannis is playing this hard, you know, the Bucs don't want to get swept. That's just embarrassing. So they're right. really giving in their effort where the mentality for the Heat would be, you would assume, would be the complete opposite. Um, you know, they, they kind of have a safety net, so they don't have to try as hard. And I'm not sure they're taking that actively, but, you know, from an effort standpoint, it just kind of hits you on a subconscious level. And so, yeah, and to me... To validate that point, I just kind of saw it in the fact that Giannis was just getting to the paint so easily. And um, the fact that Chris Middleton was able to, he was able to make some really tough shots. I felt like if we just kind of took the same approach that we did for Giannis and kind of not necessarily create a wall against Middleton, but really emphasize him and send, you know, uh, double coverage on him as mm-hmm. often as possible. Because then you're forcing who, Brooke Lopez or Bledsoe to win the game. Now they're really going to struggle to score, but I don't know if it's uh, it was Spolster's game plan to just kind of have this happen the whole way, or even from a conspiracy standpoint, maybe Spolster wanted the Heat to lose just so that you know <laughs> we get too complacent. Like I don't know. Oh, I, I see. 
It just felt like <laughs> such a like off game compared to the last three games. It's, it was, yeah. Um, the effort just wasn't there. The execution, the effort, and um, it was stressful to watch. But that's pretty much it for how I saw the game overall. I wonder if you get, if if you had the same uh, outlook as how. I guess were you as annoyed by the end of the game as I was? <laughs> oh, very much so. Like I mentioned, they took no free throw attempts because they they really weren't penetrating. They were settling for really bad jump shots, really bad contested threes. Yeah. Like they couldn't get a good shot. I would like just if if Giannis is not playing game five, I would like to see Goran Dragic on a defensive end put more effort into. I think he's so used to switching that. There were so many times he got switched on Chris Middleton, and I would like to see him fight through the screen and not switch. Like his de- his default seems to be just automatically switch, and I would like to see him fight through it uh, in the next game because that is not a good matchup. And I feel like the Bucks were targeting Middleton, trying to get Tyler Hero or Goran Dragic on Middleton. Goran Dragic gave it up, gave it to them too easily. On- yeah, especially in this game. And something I wanted to point out as far as um, Dragic's output. Since Bledsoe's been back, you could tell yeah. that his percentage has kind of been struggling a little bit more than the Pacers series or that first game against the Bucks. Mm-hmm. I think Bledsoe has been doing a commendable job making Dragic's life a lot more uncomfortable. And you could tell that his percentage is, is not as efficient as it was before. If you notice how when Dragic's bringing the ball up for the Heat, you could see Bledsoe, he's always trying to pick uh, Dragic up as soon as he steps over that half-court line. Mm-hmm. So you could tell he's always putting the pressure, making him work, tiring him out. And that's something that Bledsoe can do because, one, he's a much more, he's a stronger, more athletic player, and uh, he can impose his physicality on them. And also just because, you know, Bledsoe, he's a, that's his calling card. He's a, he's a strong defensive point guard. And, um, he does, and he doesn't have to contribute much on the offensive end. Well, now he probably does, but, you know, when Yas was on the floor, Bledsoe's main part would be to, you know, play the best defense as opposed to trying to carry the game through his offensive skill sets. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that um, it might be an adjustment that the he is going, are going to have to do, maybe not run as many plays for Drogic or not have him, you know, obviously you want him to be on the floor to be that target to attract Bledsoe because if Drogic's not there, then Bledsoe's probably going to be doing very good defense on another player. So, but maybe just have come up with some other ways to not have Drogic be the primary playmaker when Bledsoe's on the floor. And I think that he tried that with uh, in that fourth game by having uh, Dunk, at least in the beginning of the game, of the game where Duncan Robinson was, you know, shooting pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the problem with Robinson is that his defensive liability prevents him from being able to play the last few minutes of the game when the game's on the line. So I think that's something that I'm not really sure how to account for or adjust, but it's something to consider as far as that matchup between Bledsoe and Drogic. I just want to point out, I feel like the positives in that Duncan Robinson had this best game of the, of, against the Bucks, 20 points, 6 out of 12 from three-point line. And also Jay Crowder. I'm really impressed with Jay Crowder. He's been very crucial throughout the whole playoffs he's been gaining confidence like he is shooting with no hesitation his jump shot looks to be quicker like his release seems to be a lot quicker he made six out of 12 from the three-point line and that's been like throughout the whole buck series like i really we need to resign him <laughs> like he's so crucial in miami he he fits so well <laughs> if he's shooting like that man he is worth every well i want to see every penny but 
Um, depends what we offer him, right? Right. Yeah, like he's been so crucial. I think in that third game, I was talking with Carson on the phone. That third quarter, where the Heat just kind of got, uh, they were trying to get back into the game. Crowder was pretty crucial in that in that third quarter. He he shot three or four from the three point line. Like that's pretty. That's a lot. <laughs> kind of like I said, his mentality is to have that green light as soon as he sees an open shot that he feels he can make one of those spots. Like you yeah. said, there's no hesitation. And the confidence that he gets from having that freedom, it really carries through by how high of a percentage he's shooting. If he can keep this up, he's such a huge weapon for us. Yeah, and he's usually guarding the best player. Oh, yeah. He's been so invaluable. And that's one of the things where I feel you got to give credit to the Heat. I feel like every one of our players, they play their very specific roles to a very high premium. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where we get a lot of we get a lot of production. You know, we know what to expect from Butler. He's our closer. Jay Crowder, he's our three and D specialist. Right. I mean, he's known as a mainly a defensive specialist. But now, given the freedom in the heat system, he's become a sharpshooter, which is crazy to say. But he has had his best three point percentage ever in his career playing out with the heat. Mm-hmm. And so you have Duncan Robinson, our, our other three-point specialist to the max, right? Clearly one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Drogic's another one of our playmakers, closers, who leads, who used to lead our second unit, mm-hmm. but now is one of our you know main contributors as a playmaker and scorer. And then you have Andre Godala, defensive specialist, doesn't need the ball to make a difference. He just needs to play a solid, tough defense. Kelly Olenek, our, uh, our stretch five or stretch four, or whatever position you want to put in. I don't think we really have a, a clear center. Derek Jones Jr. comes in, plays really solid defense. Tyler Hero comes in, plays our six men right now. A lot of these players that I mentioned at the end of the list, they're not necessarily, you know, putting up crazy stats. But when they get on the floor, those things that I mentioned about as far as their skill set, they happen very evidently when they're on the floor. It's clear that we put them in for a very clear goal or clear reason and it allows the heat to be very structured and you know what to expect from them and so you could tell that those players they they really do those jobs really well and it's working out great you know when i was talking to my brother about how why the heat are able to beat the bucks even though we're not as talented given that you know the bucks have the best player in the league you could say you know we're just the matchup allows to have an advantage but you have the matchup and you don't execute on those advantages to a very high standard you, you know it doesn't matter but the heat's ability to execute take advantage of any matchups that they have or for example like when they were going up against the pacers or even with the bucks you know when they don't have brooke lopez miles turner or Giannis on the floor like we attack we mm-hmm. go for the basket we make a point it's like that's a mistake and we're going to take advantage of it. And not only are we able to execute on those mismatches, but our uh, mismatches that we have specifically on the defensive end, you know, we don't have the best defensive point guards or guards in general. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic, they're not necessarily strong defensive players, but right. we covered that up pretty well by sending help defense at all times. Fortunately, mm-hmm. we have some very strong wing defenders that can compensate for that. But I think most of the credit for the ability to cover up those defensive liabilities is bam goodness like it doesn't matter who he guards like it right. is a problem he can switch from one to five and it doesn't matter and it just highlights why he was an all-star for the heat you know i think a lot of casual fans they wonder like why is bam such so important mm-hmm. 
you know, when they when he got elected to the All-Star. Like, you look at his stats, like, well, you know, mediocre numbers, decent rebounds, right? But points-wise, eh, not really. So they say they, he plays defense. Well, how do you tell that, right? How, how would a casual fan really be able to tell? And they've been watching the Heat series. Now I think they can tell the ability to switch from one to five, crash the boards, create mismatches offensively. Like you do not want to, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do not want to put on a slower center on him or <laughs> right. a smaller forward on him because mm-hmm. his physical gifts as being so athletic and explosive, he could get by over bigger defenders, but he can also overpower smaller defenders. And his ability to play make, given that he creates those mismatches, has really allowed him to grow as a playmaker. You know, I think although one of my very harsh uh, criticisms for him is that he kind of makes some crucial turnovers during the end of the game. Um, I think that's something that he would get much better as he gets more experience and in that role, because this is the first year he's really assumed the role as a playmaker. Mm-hmm. As a first year, something that could definitely hope to see him getting much better at. Speaking of Bam, he was awesome in this game. Like I mentioned, he he was hitting his mid-range shots. Like he was three out of four on shots outside of the free throw line, and then three out of four on shots outside the paint. He was hitting crucial shot and just showing that. Previous podcast, we have arguments if Bam does he really have a jump shot. At least he's showing in this series he does have a mid-range jump shot at least yeah. when open. So I'm yes, like I'm happy to see him doing that. I, and, and I'm okay with those. The thing that I like about him is that he's willing to take them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he's not at the percentage where he's going to be taking them very aggressively. But right. he understands that it's part of the game plan. You know, he needs to open up the floor a little bit more. Or if he's giving those shots, like, you know, it's crucial that he takes those. And he needs to develop that confidence to, well, if you're going to give me those shots, I'm going to make you guys pay for it. And whenever he gets to that percentage where... He's going to have to, it, the defenders are not going to able, be able to let him take those. It's just going to open open up his offensive game so much more. I think that's one of the things that the Heat do really well. They give them very specific windows to allow their game to grow, right? I think like Jay Crowder in specific, being able to take that many three shots, three-point shots. And now he's shooting them really at a very high percentage. Tyler Hero, who came in as a uh, as a rookie shooter, Kind of like to emulate Duncan Robinson, right? To catch and shoot. Uh, we saw a little bit towards the end of the towards the the bubble, where he took up as a playmaker role, and even in the playoffs, you can see that's you know growing in his arsenal, and you know and to and Bam in himself, he's you know like kind of like we mentioned this year, he's taking on the role as a playmaker. He's already looking to add uh, a mid range jump shot to his arsenal. Mm-hmm. So you can see that all those, you know, what we don't see as strengths right now, there are things that the Heat are allowing, allowing them to work on as the season goes on. And I think that's really, that's really good. Yeah, and I just want to say, to add on to the point why the Heat are doing better in the Bucks, I just think they're better, they're well coached, and just they just execute the plays much better. And they have, they're not just one style, they, they adapt. And like, I don't think it's going to be surprised that it, if one of the first moves the Bucks do is just fire their head coach. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say I completely agree with you, David. Like, <laughs> if the Bucks lose this series, he's going to get fired. You can tell from, like, game one, two, three, and, and four, like, there is absolutely one game plan when it comes to offense. Just give Giannis the ball, 
and then just have him drive through five guys and hoping he can score. That, like, that's pretty much it. Like, if you look on all, most of, like, the offensive, like, half-court sets, most of the players just stand there and do nothing. Like, there's no movements, there's no cuts or anything. Like, the Heat, they, they're, every player is, like, trying to make a cut. Like, I think the Heat are, like, number two when it comes to the team who runs the most cuts for, like, plays. 13% of, the, of their plays involve somebody with, they're coming from cuts. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always movement, so you can't really, like, key on one guy. You have to, like, pay attention to the whole thing. I, I read somewhere on the message board the Bucks fan criticizing Coach Bud about that it took Giannis's injury for him to realize that he needs to play the best players at all times. You know? <laughs> and, and the proof for their statement was that, you know, Middleton played 48 minutes in that game, although five of those minutes was in the... In the in overtime, but you know, it took that extreme for him to realize, hey, you know, we need to maybe I need to diverge my plans from my regular season plans, mm-hmm. where he had a very structured time limit for all of his players, and um, you know, it's kind of puts a lot of criticism in his clouts as a head coach because in Atlanta days, you know, he clearly overachieved with the Atlanta Hawks in the regular <laughs> season, right? They At one point, they had the best score in the East, even against when LeBron was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, correct? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, I, I never faulted him for not being able to get far in the in the playoffs just because, you know, like kind of like I mentioned, he clearly overachieved with a roster that didn't have a superstar at all. Just have very five solid starters, questionable bench players and was able to get them to the to the playoffs and then as a number one seed i believe they had four all-stars during that year right uh, i think that was kyle Corver's prime al horford's prime jeff teague paul Millsap. you kind of see the same pattern where you have this uh you have this team that does really well in the regular season but in this case really underachieves in the playoffs you know the bucks were expected to get to the finals and a lot of people felt like they were going to get to the finals easily, convincingly, without having any sort of possible hiccups. But, you know, you can see that his inability to make the adjustments whenever it was really called for, it, it really put the dagger on their on this team's capability to get to the finals. And the, the evidence shows that, you know, because he's not willing to play more minutes for his star players kind of shows that. And uh, like Carson said, I... I I wonder what the Bucks management is going to do because they're kind of they're very fond of Coach Bud, but they're never going to win if they keep him. This is the second year in a row he hasn't changed his philosophy. Like if you look at the playoffs last year, like he didn't play Giannis a lot either. Not until it was like absolutely necessary. He hasn't changed since last year, and he and he loses again this year. I don't think he's going to change any. Like this is who he is. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves because the series is still not over, and we're talking like it is. <laughs> Even though it's most likely is, but we do still have Game 5 tomorrow, September 8th. So let's hope that the Heat can close it out. I'm kind of looking ahead to the next series, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of disappointed how Game 4 ended, but yeah. I'm looking for the Heat to bounce back. Uh, even if Giannis comes back, I'm really expecting the Heat to win. I'm expecting Jimmy Butler specifically to really assert himself, being that he is the leader of the team, to send a message to the rest of the team that we got to close this shit out. Like, yeah. we can't be playing around and let them keep coming back. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think oh. he's going to come back this series. Like, if it was 2-2, two, two, uh-huh. I could see Giannis coming back because there's a, you know, they could have a chance. But if it's 3-1, I don't think he, he's, he should come back. It might cost his future. Like, you don't want, like, another Kevin Durant. And right. it's possible that it's going to, that his ankle could get worse. Right, especially after he re-injured it. I don't think he'll come back for game five, but if they, if the Bucks win game five, start getting debatable once the Bucks aren't winning. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I don't think he should come back this series at all, and, and not because of the I'm rooting for Miami to beat them, but it's because of his future with the Heat. Like I don't want him to go <laughs> after the end of this series to be to be injured. I'm I gonna be honest to be, like, though. Fully healthy. I think this is a very defining moment for Giannis's career, and I say this from this perspective. If the Bucks are able to win the next game without Giannis, I think there's a lot of consideration for him to play Game Six, because you want to give your team at four-two or at three-two, you have the ability to put your team to be on a three-three series, which Game Seven becomes it doesn't matter what happened. I you you anything can happen, right? You give yourself a chance to win, and that's all that matters. If the Bucks are able to get to win the next game and Giannis is healthy enough to play in game six he should play especially because you have a guy like Luka Doncic who just completely willed himself to beat the the Clippers in a crazy game that he did after a very what looked like a very severe ankle sprain and I'm not saying that it's the same degree of injury like I don't know the details of how bad Luka's injury was or how bad Giannis's injury was but you're looking at as a career, and you're trying to be one of the greatest of all time, you need to have these clear moments of, yes, this I really stepped up. I really went above and beyond and put the team on my back, You know, came from back from injury, and willed my team to win. Coming back possibly from what no other team has ever done in the history of the NBA. And then when you have someone like Luka, who really, really, like, you know, not only did he injure his, really badly injure his uh, ankle, it was on the opposite foot that he usually has. Uh, it's on the foot that's opposite of his bad ankle, I guess. I'm sure. Say, I'm not sure if it's right or left. And it was an ankle that he injured twice as well in the series against the Clippers. And he still, you could tell, he was not gonna let that stop him from playing. Like you could tell, like he was, he was like punching the chair. He wanted to get back in the game, and you know, in the following game when he was able to get back, he willed his team to a victory. And although the series was not won by the the Mavericks, everyone has given, res- like, Luka is at that superstar level right now because of that that effort he did. And to be honest, like, Giannis's stock is going down. Like, people are calling him, and I know this credit to Scottie Pippen, they're calling him a Scottie Pippen instead of a Jordan. If he has the ability to tie the series and possibly take him to Game 7 and win it, like, he needs to do it. Absolutely. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Yeah, for our sake as a Heat, as Heat fans, Absolutely. But on that note, do you guys have any other closing thoughts? We just hope we could end it in Game 5 and we don't have to answer any more of these debates. <laughs> yeah. Because it would be very interesting. But okay. On that note, we're going to close the podcast. We're going to be back sometime later next week, probably on Wednesday, to talk about a, what possibly close the series. Or we might be talking if Giannis should get back and play the game, <laughs> Game 6. But uh, until then, we're also going to keep a close eye on the Boston Celtics and the Raptors and maybe come up with a possible preview for the next round series should the Heat eventually advance. So on that note, we're going to say goodbye and stay safe, everyone. 